probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me for the last day of the week is... Uh, this is Josh Horowitz from 5 Minutes of Trouble and 5 Minutes of Bonsai and 12 Chimes, It's Midnight. You don't say. This is quite a coincidence, because I'm Brett Stillo. I'm also on those same three podcasts. Yes. <laughs> it's weird how that worked the, out. Yeah. <laughs> The 22-somethings of podcast. So, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm here with Josh Horowitz, and we're uh, really excited to be here discussing another John Carpenter movie. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, thanks for having us on all week. This has been, this has been great. Absolutely. I was, you, you guys were definitely on the list of people I wanted to, uh, to reach out to early on, some, some fellow John Carpenter uh, podcasters. So, yeah, it's exciting to be, uh, to be doing this. Great. So today we're talking about Minute 70 of The Thing, which begins with an, uh, one last look at the charred corpse of Fuchs, and then uh, ends a minute later with Child saying, well, we better start closing off the outside doors as they, uh, they worry about where uh, Knowles and McCready have gone off to because it's been a little while. Mm-hmm. So we begin as they, they're kind of finishing up, kind of they're theorizing about what happened to, to Fuchs and the whole maybe he tried to burn it and Maybe it didn't have time, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so we, we kind of mentioned a good bit about that yesterday, but I think the the main thing to realize here is that these guys are kind of going through the mental uh, mental note of realizing that now they don't, they're, the way of testing who's a thing or not is kind of gone at this point because now all of the scientists uh, are either uh, under suspicion or are dead. So it's a, it's a pretty nihilistic uh, moment of the movie, I think, when they kind of note it, realize that. Mm. Yeah, the game has changed. Definitely. Yeah, and it's it's a movie, again, you know, these five minutes are about suspense. And, you know, one thing they've done here is remove another option from the table on the script. You know, we've the radio's been destroyed, the helicopters have been disabled. You know, less and less options are, or or more options, rather, are taken away from these guys. So they are they are feeling incre- increasingly powerless and helpless and vulnerable, and they're scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it's it's a moment where definitely, uh, like I said, the game has changed, and they just don't. You know, at this point, they're not even sure what they can do. I think, and uh, luckily, there's a there's a bit of a distraction there that they can uh, they have something to do now, in that they look over and see that uh, the light is on in Max in Max Shack. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which could probably be a good uh, barbecue place name, I think. Got a very uh, psycho house type look to it, that scene, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah, so they have this great little conversation where, uh, you know, he's like, well, we got to go up to the shack. And Niles is like, well, what the hell for? <laughs> like, you know, like, we, we just found this guy burned himself alive to escape getting assimilated by an alien. You want to go out further into this blizzard? Like, uh, yeah, I think his reaction's pretty spot on there. But uh, mm. it's definitely a creepy kind of horror movie moment to look over and see that, you know, 
when he says the lights, I left the lights off yesterday when I left. Um, mm-hmm. So this is yet another place where maybe the thing is kind of trying to maybe draw draw them uh, away from the rest of the group in some way. I, I tend to think whoever it is, whichever thing person it was that, uh, you know, tracked Fuchs outside and, and left the, the torn up clothing is probably the same one who left this light on to try and get these guys to get separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If this was a 1950s film, then the moment that you see the the shack with the lights on, we probably have the theremin going. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and then you do get a, a very 1950s and and before that moment with uh, one of those fade outs that we mm-hmm. talked about in an earlier episode, which mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I think it's, you know, one thing about this movie is it's it's a remake of the original thing, but I think it's also an, an homage, you know, I think sure. there are moments where Carpenter, uh, you know, he really loved that movie and, you know, having those fade outs, which yeah, do seem like a yeah, a classic Howard Hawks and other directors kind of thing to do just adds to, uh, that feeling that we're just seeing a fifties movie that's been updated yeah, it definitely has that feel in a lot of lot of places, and this is definitely one of those where it, using using some of those kind of haunted house tropes almost to uh, to kind of move things along. You know, this is a scene where I finally get to appreciate the outfit that McCready has. You know, Kurt Russell's outfit. He's got the leather jacket, uh, cowboy hat, the belt with the holster, the pistol. I mean, he's he's a true uh, Arctic cowboy. Oh yeah, if anything for this. Yeah, one. yeah. You know, it's, that's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because costume-wise, a couple of things come up, you know. One, in the early 80s, you know, it was fashion-wise or costume-wise, it was the return of the leather jacket. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, being a little older than you guys, uh, I, I can tell you about windbreaker crimes. That's <laughs> my term for, uh, you know, like, say, Dirty Harry movies where uh, or tv shows where uh the nylon windbreaker was suddenly in fashion they had replaced the leather jacket worn by say a protagonist or an antagonist be whoever it is uh you know a a a crack aviator or a biker or whoever and uh you know in the early 80s you started seeing uh characters outfitted in leather jackets again raiders of the lost ark obviously escape from new york Mm-hmm. The Road Warrior, even though he had a sleeve missing, there was a leather jacket. And, sure. uh, you know, you, you kind of see that that look here with uh, McCready's cool flight jacket. And, uh, you know, he's it's funny. He's like Indiana Jones. He's got the hat and the jacket. It's just a different jacket and a different hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the holster is an interesting uh, because it's. I think that could be a, a nod to, uh, again, Howard Hawks, who is a, a big inspiration for John Carpenter. Um, and I mentioned, you know, uh, Crack Aviators, a movie I just saw again, a favorite of mine by Howard Hawks, Only Angels Have Wings, mm-hmm. uh, 1939, Cary Grant. And uh, there's a conceit in that movie that they're, they're bush pilots in a, a fictional South American town called Barranca. Uh, yet for no reason they ever explain, these pilots all have guns with big holsters. <laughs> it's just part of the look. They never mention anything about uh, revolutionaries or bandits or maybe, you know, giant capybaras or, you know, there's just, they just, they seem to carry the holsters around because it's cool. And, you know, McCready definitely has a reason to be wearing that gun with the, with the, you know, the old fashioned six shooter. But I, I kind of wonder if that was Carpenter saying, 
oh, let's let's make him look like one of the guys from Only Angels Have Wings. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, we've talked a little bit about uh, just some of the kind of Western references that Carpenter was obviously a big fan of the Western and uh, certainly goes to some lengths to, in, in, definitely in the characters, but in some of the outfits as well um, to kind of, you know, add little homages to that too. And I never actually thought about really the, uh, the, the holster belt with the bullets and everything here, but I wonder, I would assume that's probably Gary's from when he took the gun from Gary. Uh, Cause I don't know why anybody else on the base would just happen to have that walking around in Antarctica, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, yeah that but is I mean, interesting. It's, yeah. It, you know, you think on a practical level, it would be a, you know, a web belt, or a shoulder holster, something very mm-hmm. contemporary and military. But it's this, you know, classic Western six shooter. Let's 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 talk a little Howard Hawks for a minute because I just it suddenly occurred to me there's some interesting thematic connections between this and uh, I think Carpenter's one of Carpenter's favorite movies, Rio Bravo. Uh, Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo. Josh, we're going back to Rio Bravo. <laughs> Episode once one. Again. <laughs> Episode one of Five Minutes of Trouble. Uh, you know, Rio Bravo. And, you know, okay, here we go. Because uh, John Wayne, the sheriff in that movie, uh, his cowboy hat is the brim is bent forward in that for a sort of comic trail hand look on this big tough guy. And you look at McCready's hat, it's got this, you know, bent forward uh, brim. You know, Rio Bravo is about uh, being isolated in a town and surrounded and sort of skulking around at night and, you know, not knowing where the enemy is. And, you know, they strike in the shadows. And, uh, you know, the comparison isn't isn't too tight, but I think it's also fun to mention, you know, I think there's a little bit of Rio Bravo uh, here in particular in this scene where they're sort of looking around and, and, you know, trying to figure out what happens. I think in Rio Bravo, there's a scene where they, you know, they hear a gunshot and they go outside and there's there's somebody dead in the street at night. And uh, a little bit of that here where, you know, they find a body and they're looking around and what happened and who's next. And, you know, they're unsure what's going to happen. Yeah, it's actually I don't know that I've ever seen Rio Bravo. That's one that's been on my list for a long time. But I don't think it's a stretch that that Carpenter would have, you know, purposely made those kind of connections and and homages because, yeah, obviously he was a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Rio Bravo is an interesting movie because, by our our modern standards, it's slow. Mm. It's very talky and conversational, the way old movies were at that time. But it's interesting conversation, and the performances are are pretty engaging. But the action is for a western is few and far between. But uh, you know, I I always see a little bit of Rio Bravo somewhere in Carpenter's movies, most notably Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. I mean, that's almost a direct homage. Uh, and then, you know, it's, uh, I think Jack Burton is is drawing from uh, both Dean Martin and John Wayne in, in Rio Bravo. So, um, uh, yeah, can't you, you, you can't talk about the thing and not bring up Howard Hawks. And um, maybe this, if you don't mind me asking... Uh, uh, have you ever seen uh, – have either of you gentlemen ever seen the original 1951 thing? I have. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't. No. Very, very different movie. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the uh, – it's, it's safe to say the original is is far, 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 if I said far enough, less gory. And uh, 
you know, there's a little bit of a Cold War analogy going on with the monster because it's, you know, that, that movie is basically the United States Air Force versus the monster. Right. Yeah, it's it's, a, uh, it, it's interesting because that movie, that movie and this movie, the, uh, just about the only thing they have in common are the, uh, uh, besides some little homages here and there, are the the UFO scene is very very similar, but aside hmm. from that, the creature is completely different and has a has a whole different kind of physical makeup and and goal and, um, yeah, just the the sense of what they're actually doing is very different and yeah, it's this is much more um, this is actually very very closely adapted to the from the short story uh, who goes there um is is shockingly close to this movie that came out you know 50 years after it was published um much much more so than the thing from another world was yeah yeah exactly and uh so one interesting thing about the original uh is you know i mean or to back up you know one one problem with it is they do a great job of of setting up the eerie sense of this weird vegetable monster. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, when you see it, uh, it's James Arness with basically some Frankenstein prosthetics. It's, it's a bit of a letdown. He's, he's basically sort of a big Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Um, but originally there was some pre-production talk and design about trying to create something more like a monster in the book. And uh, or the original short story, rather, you know, a tentacled, weird, you know, uh, though he was still unknown at the time, you know, Lovecraftian kind of a monster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though Hawks was involved in that movie, it was still kind of a B movie. They just didn't have the budget or the time. So out of just practicality, uh, and I think I read that they even borrowed some of Jack Pierce's Frankenstein molds for the forehead to just kind of do a, a quick and dirty, you know, that's what a monster is. It's a, it's a big hulking guy with platform boots right? and, uh, you know, a giant rubber forehead next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. It's, it is shockingly, uh, it's extremely Frankenstein esque. There's, there's very little to separate that, uh, that monster from Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is, I mean, it is interesting in the dialogue of the original thing. That when they're, it's more creepy when they're talking about the monster yeah. and what it could potentially do and what it's done. But, uh, yeah, so then, you know, I, I, th- I think in, in some of those action scenes when you see the monster and, you know, like, you know, we mentioned homages, you know, the, the monster set on fire and it crashes through a window outside mm-hmm. in the snow. We see that scene in, in both movies. Uh you know the action sequences are good, but you just have to deal with, um, you know, and they're they're crafty in the original. They don't. There's never a close up of the monster. Mm-mm. He's always in the shadows. Uh, so I, th- I think they were faced with a, a monster that they didn't originally want, and they just they did a good job of filming around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, I think, that's part of the inspiration for this movie. It's like, okay, we can really do this monster now. Let's go for it. Let's go nuts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They certainly go nuts. <laughs> yes, yeah, and how, and how? Yeah, we're getting getting very close to uh, to a couple of the iconic uh, special effects sequences in this movie that are uh, that definitely push those limits and and go go where the short story intended to. I think. Mm. I did want to mention that in in this uh, in this minute we've got a missing scene that's in the script that they never filmed. That's a uh, pretty uh, entertaining, if nothing else, one. Um, mm. so when, uh, when Mac and Nas go up to the shack, there's actually a scene where they go where the camera follows them and we go with them. And, uh, 
nothing really it's I can see why they cut it because basically nothing of importance happens at all except that uh they get up there and the roof has been kind of torn off uh by the wind or something like that and um they uh they're him and Nalls are just kind of looking around trying to see if they find see anything suspicious and then uh Nalls trips over something and uh and a giant and not giant an inflatable uh inflatable woman pops out uh that McCready <laughs> has been keeping in his shack <laughs> Um, where there's another, there's an earlier scene that they actually did film, uh, where he's, when he's in his shack, he's sitting there with an inflatable woman sitting next to him. Um, and, uh, yeah. So in this scene, it pops out and scares Nalls and he, uh, he accidentally burns it a little bit with his flamethrower. And it, uh, this sounds so ridiculous in the script. It, uh, not only does that pop out in kind of comical fashion, but once it pops because he burns it, it like flies off like a balloon through the roof. (laughs) <laughs> and flies away <laughs> and then uh and we get a great another great uh Nulls line of goddamn white women <laughs> uh, gosh that i you know one i wondered what happened to her <laughs> the only woman in the whole movie right and she's you know she's a beach ball um <laughs> and then two i love that scene as it's written but <laughs> I can see why they they took it out. You know, there's there's almost, yeah. Actually, you know, in the in the in the first act, you get a little bit of humor, but then it all goes away, right? Um, and you know, you could argue that you know maybe the movie could have used a a moment like that where it's a scare and then there's a joke, but uh, nah, I think it's that <laughs> movie is, I think this movie is so intense and grim. Uh, particularly in the third act that it would have been a distraction yeah. and it would have, you know, it would have broken up that relentless ever increasing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, 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 that's, it's a great joke. I almost feel like it somehow that, that morphed into something in big trouble a couple of years later. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. I think we, we can all imagine Jack Burton having an inflatable girl in the back of his, uh, in the little cab of his, of his, uh, semi, he, they, he might actually have a, a whole bevy of girls back there. <laughs> is that, is that his last wife that he refers to in his monologue? <laughs> oh, wow. That's... I think we and, stumbled and upon when, something here. Yeah. That's his ex-wife that he talks to. And, and when he talks to her, he goes into Henry Swanson mode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been driving the truck, honey. I'll be back. You know. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think we can agree that that scene is uh, as interesting as it may be from from a couple perspectives. It uh, probably belongs more in a movie like Big Trouble than in the thing. Um, <laughs> doesn't doesn't quite fit the aesthetic of this movie. Um, well, and the other thing too is it really would kind of undercut. I think seeing as kind of Windows watches them walk up to the shack, it's really it's a creepy moment because we know that McCready is maybe not a human. Um, you know, we've, we're kind of suspicious of him at this point, so we think maybe he's doing this to kind of, you know, get a hold of uh, Nalls as they go up to his shack. So it's it's extra creepy, you know, not <laughs> seeing what happens and then having that fade out and not, you know, that they've been gone for so long, like what's been happening, uh, as opposed to knowing that for 45 minutes they've been, you know, wrestling with an inflatable doll. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestling with an inflatable doll. <laughs> and there might there might be an episode title right there. <laughs> there we go. There we go. But um, yeah. So uh, yeah. The only question I had too about this in terms of logic is, which I guess plays into that kind of creepy. Like, why is he? Or, or uh, you know that 
Mac is maybe not who we think he is, that why wouldn't he just take all three of them up there? Like it's 30 feet away. They could walk up there, turn the lights off and look around and then come back in, in 10 mm-hmm. minutes. I don't know why he doesn't take all three of them with him, especially after he's been so careful to tell everybody to watch your backs and, you know, be careful about who you're traveling with. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's that there's that bit of logic that interrupts. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll maybe make a point or a bit of an argument that it does seem in the beginning that in this group of, you know, roommates who are forced to spend way too much time together, mm-hmm. uh, you know, McCready's a bit of the outsider, the misfit. He's, you know, he prefers to, to be in this hut away from everybody else. Um, which maybe says the, yeah, then they're, then they're fine with that. Like, okay, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's weird. McCready mm-hmm. with his doll. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Nalls and windows, like they don't, you know, they didn't want to go to McCready's hut before they don't want to go to McCready's hut now. <laughs> and maybe McCready doesn't want them up there either. <laughs> yeah. McCready doesn't want them up there. Yeah. They're for whatever reason, whether it's McCready or, uh, alien McCready. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, uh, that's okay. We'll stay here in the freezing cold. Right. <laughs> We're fine. We'll just stay here in light flares. We like that. <laughs> you know, I just had a thought. I mean, how, how disturbing would it have been if the, the movie had been different and McCready was possessed and you actually saw some weird, you know, practical effect of him bursting open in his face? I, mean, I don't think I'd ever see Kurt Russell the same after that. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. It's, I, yeah. That's so tempting <laughs> and it's so fun. And, but, you know, and, you know, there's a double-edged sword. I could see them ending the movie today that way. Mm, right. You know, with, you know, having the cheap, you know, the end question mark, <laughs> dot, <laughs> right. dot, dot, ending uh, where, yeah, that, yeah, you'd have the, the really obligatory, you know, cheap thrill ending where McCready starts to transform and then the screen goes black. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it, I think the movie works out as it is to make it. Obviously, we've mentioned all week about how vague the movie is and mysterious and how things are left unanswered and how well that works for the suspense and the just kind of, I think the themes of the movie too about, you know, not really ever knowing what's going on in, in somebody else's head and knowing who to trust uh, as, as being kind of the, the greatest fear. It, it works towards that, and it certainly makes it throws everything into question to not really even know whether the per- the one person that we feel we're totally safe and trusting is maybe not who they say they are is is definitely an unsettling and it's pretty I think it's a pretty unique thing too among in yeah. certainly among horror movies, but in even in any kind of movie i can't i'm I'm struggling to think of another example where the main character is really thrown into question as much as he is here for this mm-hmm. this small part of the movie yeah. but yeah it, it it even goes so far as when we come out of that fade out. Childs is kind of taking his uh, taking his chance to take charge as he wanted to earlier because now, you know, these two guys have been missing for, it doesn't seem like, you know, the shack does not seem that far away. Like 45 minutes seems like an extreme amount of time for them to be gone. So it's certainly uh, uh, valid for him to be that worried about it and thinking that something must have gone wrong. So uh, yeah, he takes the chance to, uh, to lock them out and, and start, start uh, locking up the base. And taking mm-hmm. charge, so it's an, it's another kind of twist in the movie here. The shield doors must be closed. <laughs> That's right, deck officer. <laughs> yeah, deck officer. <laughs> so, um, yeah. before we before we wrap up this week, I did want to mention uh, or kind of ask you guys. 
obviously I have a feeling I know which is uh which is yours uh your favorite carpenter movie. But um I wanted to get get your guys' thoughts on just kind of you know, his overall filmography. What are what are the movies that you really enjoy? Which are the ones that you kind of think maybe miss the mark a little bit? Hmm. Uh well, as, as, as far as me, I, I was only introduced to John Carpenter with Big Trouble in Little China, so I'm kind of biased there. Mm-hmm. But it did get me to go and see some of the other films out there. I haven't seen too many. Uh, I, I did see They Live, and I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. I was a big fan of wrestling uh, during the 80s, and so I was surprised to see that, that Rowdy, Rowdy Piper was in it. And, of course, they have that wonderful uh, fight scene in that one and, and just the whole concept of – um, you know, the, the aliens and you know, not seeing the truth. I, that, that was one of my favorites. Uh, I did see the thing and, uh, you know, escape from New York was good. I did see escape from LA. Not so good. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I can't think of any of the other ones that I've seen, to be honest. I, I think I started watching a little bit of escape from precinct 13, but never, never really got into the rest. Yeah. Boy, uh, you got an hour. <laughs> or, or to quote from Assault on Precinct 13, you know, you, you got a match. Uh, or, you know, you got a cigarette. Yeah, where to start? Yeah, I, I, at the, you know, in his heyday, I wasn't a big Carpenter fan. I wasn't a big horror fan in the 80s. So while on one hand, I had a certain, you know, respect for his work, his movies didn't really grab me. Um, it's only, you know, kind of after the fact that I've really come to love is his body of work. And as I think I said on a earlier episode, you look at, say, from 1976 to 1987, or you go from, you know, Precinct 13, or maybe even throw in Dark Star. Sure. Uh, which is, in some ways, there are a few themes that are there that you see in... Uh, in the thing there's a sense of claustrophobia mm-hmm. uh there's there's a beach ball i don't know if there's a you know, <laughs> there's an inflatable girl there's a beach ball i don't know but then you, you take it to they live and you know that's just an awesome body of work that he produced you know the, in some ways the 80s were uh, what i call the revenge of the b movie mm-hmm. you had all these guys uh who grew up watching you know, old movies and serials on TV. And then, you know, their first impulse was to, you know, remake that old movie uh, with a modern day sensibility, modern day budget. Hence, you know, the thing, Um, you know, I could, I could sit here and, and talk about movies that were inspired by movie, B movies or sort of B movies themselves that exploded like the original Terminator. Right. And, you know, entertainment wise, it was, it was the revenge of the B movie. Uh, I think, you know, I, I could, I could go on and on about certain Carpenter movies. There's a bunch of them I like, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, maybe I'll mention the fog for a minute or two just sure. because, uh, love that movie. It's flawed. It kind of doesn't have a payoff that you want at the end. I kind of feel though that, in the process, he creates an interesting setting and an interesting vibe and an interesting feel. Uh, and I, I think he and his team learned some things. So then when they moved on to the thing, I think we, you, you can't have the thing without the fog. Yeah. If that I makes agree. any sense. Another thing I love about Carpenter is he's, he's the anti Spielberg, hmm. whether by accident or design, he seemed to make these movies that were, a uh, 
a strange response to the kind of, you know, feel-good special effects-laden movies that Spielberg was making. I think Carpenter was making movies for the, uh, you know, for the juvenile delinquents out there who, <laughs> uh, you know, if you didn't like E.T., there were a few of us out there. I, I, uh, I wasn't real fond of E.T. when I saw it. I was a, te- I was a surly teenager. <laughs> and it didn't quite grab me the way like it might have grabbed you guys as kids, which is understandable. It was an epic kid movie. But yeah, so if you didn't like E.T., well, you'll like the thing. <laughs> There's your perfect thing to put on the poster. Yeah, really. E.T., yeah. come see the thing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, I think it's a perfect antithesis of E.T. You know, they're basically in this, you know, within two weeks you have two uh, movies about rubber aliens and, and one's cute and adorable. And the other one is a fricking nightmare. Right. And, and very much just in general, but especially, especially looking at the, at e, just in general with Spielberg versus Carpenter, but, uh, in particular with ET and the thing, you know, you get ET is very kind of hopeful. And, uh, in, in some ways there's this kind of idealistic ending to it where, you know, things will work out and, uh, in the thing it's like, mm, no, this is like the worst of humanity. And like, uh, at best, in, in our best case scenario, the ending means that all of the characters died alone in the cold. <laughs> like, yeah. like you know, it's pretty, it's pretty nihilistic and and uh, hopeless in 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 almost any interpretation you can have of yeah. it. And did they save the world? Uh, maybe. Right. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Best you know. case, they live and they live for another couple of hours. Worst case, the entire world is taken over by monstrous, gory aliens. <laughs> yeah. And it just we you know we don't have any indicator of of that at all. It's just it it ends where it ends. And uh, yeah, so yeah, and again, E.T. is is like a, a celebration of suburbia and the American dream and uh, little kids on bicycles and, and Reese's pieces. Yeah, and Reese's <laughs> pieces, and you know, and Halloween and the, the, the fun side of Halloween. Yeah, the thing is just total nihilism. Yeah, you know, it's it's a movie made for. Uh, metalheads and punks and future goths most definitely (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh yeah so there's a there's a whole slew of of wonderful uh thing movies out there or thing john carpenter movies out there uh that uh that we could explore and i'm I'm hoping to see a few more of those pop up as a as minute podcasts in the near future if uh you know if if you guys don't tackle one and i don't tackle one hopefully somebody else will uh will take up the mantle and uh maybe do Prince of Darkness or They Live or something like that. That would, that would definitely be fun to listen to. Sounds yeah, good. yeah. You know, it's funny also maybe to mention, you know, you mentioned Prince of Darkness. And, you know, another thing about Carpenter movies, uh, you know, quite a few of them, you know, miss their mark on initial release and then they, they sort of find their mm-hmm. fans later on. Uh, you guys are both big fans of They Live. And, you know, I can remember when that movie came out and it was thoroughly panned. Right. Was it? it was just, yeah, everybody hated that movie. Even Carpenter fans hated that movie. Huh. And I got to admit, I didn't see it at the time because I just kind of went with, you know, peer pressure. Um, <laughs> then, I don't know, within maybe 10, 15 years, I start hearing, you know, the famous bubblegum line. And that movie had found its its niche. <laughs> and yeah, Josh, you mentioned Escape from L.A., which has its flaws for sure, but I, you know, I, I watched that not too long ago, and I was surprised at you know how much I uh, more I liked it than didn't like it, and there was some good stuff in there. Mm. So um, 
yeah, I think, you know, let's, uh, you know, Carpenter, I think he's always worth a second look and a third look. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I guess I had a similar kind of thing where I didn't realize that I was a big Carpenter fan until, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I realized like, oh, you know, there's a lot of these movies that I really enjoy and I've never really put the pieces together that they're all by the same guy, <laughs> you know? Right. Like I, I'd been a fan of The Thing and of uh, Halloween and of um, uh, Prince of Darkness, but, it, you know, it, it wasn't until I started really digging into other movies that I, I realized like, wow, he is absolutely one of my favorite filmmakers and I just never kind of made that connection. And partly because I think he's made a, a pretty wide variety, even though he's obviously kind of pigeonholed as a horror director. Yeah. Um, within horror, he's certainly done a lot of different kinds of things between kind of sci-fi horror like this and and They Live, and then uh, you know more very uh, well. You say standard slasher for Halloween, and almost standard because it essentially created the genre along with something like uh, um, Black Christmas, but. Yeah, and then down to something like Big Trouble in Little China and Starman and Christine. Like, you know, there's some similar themes and things there, but it's definitely a pretty varied body of work that, uh, that yeah. you know, I find something to like in pretty much everything he's ever made. Yeah, I guess it, it ties into, you know, the Revenge of the Bees. Yeah, like you said, we think of him as a quote-unquote horror director, but what he really was was a genre director. Mm-hmm. Again, taking a cue from Howard Hawks, that guy never made the same movie twice or if he say he did a a western you know they were spaced about 10 years apart um you know in between red river and rio bravo yeah he made the thing and he made gentlemen prefer blondes a wacky romantic comedy with marilyn monroe and i'd say you know that defines carpenter in his heyday in the 80s he would do genre pictures with these i think these very interesting maybe drawing from horror twists but he was yeah i'd say you know definitely he loved westerns he ever never actually made a western though mm-hmm. there's you know we were alluding to like western tones and themes in his movies and he and he never did the big production musical though i bet you that was on his list so it was like he was into exploring different genres a a romantic movie with an alien and yeah, there's Starman. something that uh, john carpenter never tried making a musical yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen that Elvis biopic, but I wonder if that's probably the closest he ever got. <laughs> oh, hmm. that yeah, that first uh, collaboration with Kurt Russell. Hmm. Yeah, I have to see that one time. Yeah, and yet he's a, you know, he's a musical guy in a sense. He's making musicals yeah. now. You know, he's on. Have you have you been able to catch him on tour, or are I you have. planning on? Awesome. Yeah, I saw him uh, last year and up in New York. It was fantastic. It was such a cool experience. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I wish he'd make another movie, but he seems so, you know, focused on, you know, making music, which I think is also really cool. Yeah. And he's so good at that. Yes. So why not? And he's definitely um, having having a lot of fun with it, too, which I think at, at his age is probably the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he gets to he gets to have a rock and roll lifestyle as a second thing. So more power to him. Yeah. Well, guys, I think we're we're probably reaching the end of the week here, but um. Any uh, any last things you want to mention or or, or or plugs you want to throw out for for your shows? Anything you want to end the week with? Well, I guess we can tell our on the audience out there if they want to check out uh, Five Minutes of Trouble, they just go to five minutes of trouble dot com, and uh, the new show that uh, we're going to be starting up uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, uh, Five Minutes of Bonsai. You can find that at five minutes of bonsai dot com. That's B A N Z A I, not B O N S A I. We're not talking about the tree. We're talking about no. <laughs> the Peter Weller W D Richter classic. 
Uh, and uh, we're we're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, I don't think we're on Instagram yet. Should we start taking pictures, Brett? <laughs> well, we could. My bad. I, I thought we had a little like like Instagram account for five minutes, but mm. my my bad. We 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 could. Uh, <laughs> but you know. But yeah, we're we we are out there, and yeah, if you like John Carpenter movies, and we know you're out there, uh, yeah, check out Five Minutes of Trouble. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for being on. It's been it's been a pleasure to have some other Carpenter files on, and uh, you know, to to swap swap notes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for inviting us on. Had a great time. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Could talk easily for another hour about Carpenter, but we'll save it. <laughs> we'll save it for our uh, our Carpenter anthology. Uh, yeah, <laughs> minute, minute, movies by minute podcast or something. Yeah. Like we said on Monday, uh, Escape from New York minute. Yes. Where's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crying out to be made. So somebody somebody listening here, I'm, I'm hoping, is getting the inspiration to, to start it up. Somebody needs to adopt that movie for a movie by minute podcast. So I think that'll wrap us up for Minute 70 as well as this week. But um, I do want to always mention that if you like the show and you want to support the show, um, two quick ways you can do that that are real easy. You can either go to thethingminute.com slash Amazon and do some of your regular Amazon shopping. And uh, the podcast gets a very small percentage of whatever you pay for what you buy on Amazon through that link. You can also just donate directly to the show by using the donate button that's on the bottom of the website. So anybody that does either of those two things, that's uh, greatly appreciated to cover uh, you know, hosting fees and and uh, domain fees and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, thank you to those that have that have done that so far. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. And uh, I hope everybody has a great weekend. And if you're still a, a human and not an assimilated creature by Monday, <laughs> then please come back for another episode of the Thing Minute. Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. (laughs) 